Hello and welcome back to The World's Last Night. My name is James Thayer. Today we are in Exodus chapter 7, where we get to to witness the very first plague that God sends upon Israel, or not Israel, <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's start in, in uh, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 1, chapter 7. The Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh, so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. So, we remember back in chapter 5 that Pharaoh asked sort of rhetorically to Moses, Who is the Lord? He's like, I don't know the Lord. And so, <clears throat> he doesn't want to deal with God, with the Lord directly, so... God is basically placing Moses um, in as his in his status, his representative, and making Aaron Moses's, uh, I guess, mouth mouthpiece speaker, like a prophet is a speaker for God. Okay, so there's a little bit, basically, a chain of of communication here: God to Moses to Aaron to Pharaoh. All right, verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. We talked a little bit about that. Anytime that we see that specific phrase, uh, we, we went through Romans 1 where God basically removes his grace from people. That's what that means. He allows Pharaoh to indulge in his sin and have a hard heart, hard heart towards God by actively removing common grace from Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand on Egypt and bring out the ranks of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So these are some older fellows and they still have purpose in their life, which is very encouraging. We've had a lot of people in Scripture, especially Genesis, who did not fulfill their greatest purpose in life until much later in life. I always like to be reminded of the fact that, on average in America, most people do their their best work and their, um, they, their greatest income-earning years are after they're 50 years old. So if you're young... You know, you can take the pressure off yourself to accomplish your greatest things in life. And if you are older, you can be confident in the fact that you are just now entering the years that you might accomplish the greatest things of your life. It's when you are wiser. It's when you are wealthier. It's when you have an established family and hopefully grandchildren, children or grandchildren at that point, And you can, they're raised, children are out of the house and you can start focusing more back on your career or your ministry. So, you know, be encouraged as you get up in years that God still has a plan and a use for you from these examples that we have in Scripture. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. Okay, so... In the Hebrew, the second time that this miracle happens, the word serpent is actually different than just like a snake. Um, it actually is closer to crocodile or dragon or large lizard. So we're not sure what it is. I actually really love the Prince of Egypt, how in a little bit we'll see when this, when this happens. 
when Aaron throws his staff down, it be- it's actually Moses who does it in the Prince of Egypt, but whatever. It becomes a king cobra. So I thought that was kind of cool. Okay. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. So these characters are kind of like Jafar from um, from Aladdin. These are wise people, well-learned, highly educated in Egypt. And at this time, the Egyptians are way above other cultures in mathematics, in science, in their education. But they also delve into, I guess, what Harry Potter would call the dark arts. Uh, Scripture would call it witchcraft or sorcery. But they commune not with the Holy Spirit, not with God. They commune with demons. They commune with Satan. And we remember that demons actually do have power. They are fallen angels. Angels, angelic beings are are very powerful. Um, now we've talked a little bit about this too. They don't they don't have power that can overcome the the believer that has Christ, right? Because of Jesus, they shudder at the name of Jesus. So that's not something that we have to worry about if we call upon our Lord. But I will um, take you quickly to 2 Thessalonians uh, ch- chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, because I want to hit on something real quick. So let's see, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 says, uh, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. So this is Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians, and he is mostly talking about the Antichrist, who is predicted, prophesied about in Revelation. But there's going to be someone who eventually stands up and defies God's people, claims to be God himself, and can do basically what Paul is calling false miracles and Satan's work. So he actually has some sort of of power to do these kind of false miracles. Well, we're going back to these Egyptians, same deal. And this is unusual to Europeans, to Americans, but if you grew up in Africa, this wouldn't be anything weird to you because in Africa... People are communing with demons all the time, and they witness certain false miracles all the time. Um, You can do your own research on that. Missionaries will tell you what they've witnessed and what they've seen. There's a very interesting documentary series called John Safran vs. God, who John Safran is an atheist, or he was an an agnostic when he did this. Um, He became a theist by the end of it interestingly enough. But he went and test drove a bunch of religions. So you have your typical ones like Catholicism. But he also visited Africa. He he participated in a uh, Day of the Dead ritual and saw some crazy nutso things. In any case, all I'm really saying is uh, these magicians... They're either able to perform these signs and miracles as a trick, like a modern magician, or because of their witchcraft, occult practices, and a demon or Satan actually performing these things. So we'll keep going. 
Each one threw down a staff and it became a serpent, but Aaron's staff swallowed theirs. However, Pharaoh's heart hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So I think that's really awesome. Aaron's staff swallowed theirs. There's so much um, packed into that. You could do a whole sermon on Aaron's staff swallowing these other two um, serpents because it really goes to show that God's word, God's truth, a true miracle will always defeat Satan's work, falsehoods, things done to deceive people and lead them astray from God and evil. You might see those other things occur and they might be impressive in a sense, but really compared to God's truth, they are just parlor tricks meant to lead us astray. So another verse I wanted to turn to actually in the New Testament was Second uh, Timothy 3, so chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Give me a second. Second Timothy 3. All right. Um, 7 through 9. So these magicians are actually named... In this chapter, did I do this? Oh, wait. Did I do the wrong chapter? Oh, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy 2, 7 through 9. I'm also going to the Lord Jesus. Oh, man. Guys, I lost it. Where is it? 3, verse 7 through 9. All right, let me find it, and then we'll be back. Okay, we're back. I, I was looking in Thessalonians again. That was my issue. Okay, so 2 Timothy 3, 7 through 9. I'm actually going to start at 6. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions. Now, verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes or Janes and... Jambres, 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 resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. So, in this, uh, Paul is writing to his disciple, his protege Timothy, in 2 Timothy, and he's basically explaining there's going to be difficult times ahead, and he's he's comparing these kinds of people that Timothy's going to interact with with these two magicians that opposed Moses in Egypt, John Johnes and Jambres. Um, he says they resisted the truth, men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. Before that, it says they're always learning, but they're never able never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So these are people who are highly educated, but um, at the end of the day, they're learning about the wrong things. They're learning about witchcraft, or they are using their God-given talent in rational ra uh, rational abilities to create evil, to sow discord, um, and to turn people away from the faith. An interesting article I was reading the other day was about the Nuremberg trials with the Nazis. They wanted to see like what kind of people could commit such crimes during these trials of convicted Nazis. And so they had psychologists examine them. And of course, most of their uh, reasons were basically, I was just following orders, you know, concerning murdering millions of people. And um, 
what they found out, interestingly enough, about the Nazis was that their entire upper rank was comprised of men who were highly intelligent. You're talking about people with IQs of 135, 141. Like, 140 is considered genius. The average IQ of the population is 100, right? So, these people were above average, and they were Nazis. So, these are people that used their talent, their intelligence given by God... They were highly educated, and they used it in ways that uh, caused great evil and harm. They didn't worship God with their talents. In fact, I think it was Zyklon B was the gas they used uh, to gas all the Jews and other quote-unquote undesirables they murdered. Well, that was just an uh, insecticide that they modified to do that job with. And if you really study the Nazis, and not just the Nazi party, right, but Germany at the time, the whole war machine, they were, in some regards, light years ahead of other nations in technology. Just highly intelligent in reasoning, and yet their character was lacking. It was directed towards an evil end instead of a good end. And this is why education will never solve society's problems. Don't believe that if anyone tells you that. C.S. Lewis basically said that all education does to uh, for an evil person is make them a more clever devil. <laughs> like, you're just going to turn someone who can cause a little bit of evil into someone who can cause a great deal of evil because they're more clever at doing it. What you really have to do to create a good society is imbue... Um, virtue into the citizenry. And if you're not doing that, you're just going to make more intelligent, educated, evil people, such as these magicians that are using um, their gifting to create evil instead of good. All right, that was a long sort of rant, but here we go. Um, all right, however, Pharaoh's heart hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Chapter, verse 14, sorry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh is unresponsive. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When you see him walking out to the water, stand ready to meet him by the bank of the Nile. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a snake. Tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But so far you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. Here is how you will know that I am the Lord. Watch. I will strike the water in the Nile with a staff in my hand, and it will turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. So the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, canals, ponds, and all their waters, reservoirs, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. Oh, jeez, think about that for a second. That's nuts. Okay, okay, before, I'm going to hop into this real quick before I pop, pop into how this all pans out. As I said earlier, each of the plagues actually, they're literal, they, they actually happen. That's what the Bible is actually uh, presenting them to us as, is historical, not metaphorical. But they do also, they're used to strike at, which is sort of what the word plague means in this, is to blow or to strike at. 
an Egyptian deity or multiple Egyptian deities, so false gods. So the Egyptians actually had a lot of false gods. There were three big ones, at least, in, that were pertained to the Nile River. Um, and so you had, like, the god of the river. You had another god that's, like, the Nile River is their life force. And turning basically turning that into blood, into something diseased, and everything dies in it, is a huge blow to people that worship those false gods concerning the river. The river itself was actually, in some regards, worshipped, right? And so God is basically saying, nah, those are false gods. They don't even, they're not even real. Um, I'm the real God. I created this thing, and hey, I can also destroy it. Um, and you can, you can also repair it, which is something that you're going to see some other false miracles from these uh, magicians, the sorcerers, and you're going to see that they're only for destruction. They never, like, actually make something good. Because Satan really can't. It's not like his forte. Okay. Um, one other thing. You're also going to find these first nine miracles. They come in sort of, like, threesomes. The first two in each uh, are going to be ones that Pharaoh is warned about. And the last one is just going to be um, spontaneous or without warning. So... Okay, so the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, all right, we read that, didn't we? Verse 20, Moses and Aaron ju did just as the Lord had commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his officials. He raised a staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink water from it. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. So Pharaoh's heart hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned around, went into his palace, and didn't even take this to heart. All the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, because they could not drink the water from the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. So the Egyptians supposedly pulled some water, or I'm sorry, the magicians, they pulled some water out of a well, a clean, fresh water well. Which, that's what these other Egyptians are digging for, is water out of wells, out of the ground, instead of the Nile. And they recreate this, this miracle, right? And whether they do it with, hey, I'm going to just put some, you know, red clay in this water, or food, food dye, or just dye. They definitely had dye back then. Or if it's an actual false miracle, you know, through the power of Satan. Either way, you know, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's still not going to turn over or let uh, the Israelites go to worship in the wilderness. And that's the end of chapter 7. So what, that's one plague down. We got nine more to go. And they continue to increase in severity in, in certain ways. And they continue to also denigrate Egyptian gods. It's sort of like God sort of backhanding all these false deities with these plagues. It's really funny, in my opinion, if you really think about it. Because it's ironic and uh, I just love that God actually has a sense of humor. A lot of people read the Bible and they're like, does God ever laugh? And I think he totally does. And uh, in my opinion, this, this is him with his sense of humor on one side, but also deadly serious on the other. You know, reaching out his strong hand to strike Egypt to show them that he is the Lord. So I wanted to also tell you one other little fun fact that I read. So there's a papyrus which is a scroll from Egypt, ancient Egypt. It's called the Ipuer Papyrus, I-P-U-W-E-R. And so the Ipuer Papyrus 
in, I guess, like chapter 2, verse 10, 2.10 is how it's listed. Um, there's, it's actually mentioned that the Nile was turned into blood and was undrinkable. And then multiple times in this papyrus, it said that the servants left their masters. Like it repeatedly says that. There's not a lot of archaeological evidence for the Exodus. And, you know, one way my dad described that to me was basically, well, yeah, if you were the Egyptians, you probably wouldn't keep a lot of evidence of that either because it's super embarrassing, especially, you know, these plagues themselves denigrating the Egyptian gods is really embarrassing. It's not something that as a state you would want, especially a state with, that's led by supposedly a god, right? Pharaoh is like a god. That's not something you want to get out there. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like if North Korea, if the population escaped that. Like, Kim Jong-un is not going to, who's the dictator of North Korea right now, is not going to, like, admit that. He's going to cover it up. So that's that's one theory about that. But there is some sporadic, small archaeological evidences, such as that papyrus I mentioned, when later you're going to see the Israelites cross the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are basically drowned in that. You, we do find, actually, chariots and several other... Uh, Egyptian war um, artifacts at the bottom of the Red Sea, which is sort of interesting. It could be from that event. You just don't know. But ultimately, um, my faith in, in God isn't dependent upon archaeological evidence. So, um, in any case, we'll get to chapter 8 here soon. I'm not going to ruin what the plague is for you. But until then, this is James from The World's Last Night.